Welcome to the Run Local podcast. Of course, this is where we invite guests across the spectrum of society, including elite athletes, entrepreneurs, local legends, and beyond. We utilize the sport of running to learn about these individuals, their community, and what they're doing to change the world. Josh Muxon is my co-host. I am JT Service. Josh, who do we have today? Look, JT, it's a it's a great day um, out here on the pod, and uh, one of the reasons for that is we have the one and only Joe Rubio is here with us today. Joe, welcome to the pod. Good to see you. Good to see you guys too. Yeah. You know, Joe, one of the things that we do to kick things off is uh, some folks know you, um, some folks may not know you yet. Um, but uh, if you don't mind giving uh, giving a little introduction of of you know kind of who Joe Rubio is. Okay, well, let's see. Started running in 1977 because my dad told me that he was tired of watching me watch TV all the time. And he said, you either need to get out and do something or I'm going to enroll you in Bellarmine Prep, which was a, <laughs> it's a Catholic school in San Jose, which was really Shut what up. I wanted to do. So I went out and uh, had a buddy who was on the track team. And I just went out and started, you know, doing track. And I remember um one day it was raining and i decided that you don't run when it rains and i went out and did my skateboard at the high school and i could see my buddy doing intervals on the track by himself and i go oh, that sucks right that's really oh. bad so that got me into the the habit of just going out regardless of what the weather was and then our high school coach you know this was in junior high and my buddy's dad was a uh was he worked on Wall Street or something. So he got to work at five in the morning and got off at three and was able to coach us. He wasn't that good of a coach, but whatever. He, he was a really good guy. And the, our coach at the high school was really good. And I remember uh, Mark Stillman. He was coaching Mark Stillman. And Mark Stillman won the California High School State Meet in 406. And I can remember him doing intervals and watching my coach give him encouragement. We worked out on the same track, and th that was pretty encouraging. But some of the stuff about my high school coach that, you know, kind of resonates right now is his big idol was Emil Zatopek, right? And, yeah. uh, right, just, you know, 60 times quarters and stuff like this, you know, every day. But one of the things I remember about my coach was uh, we used to ride bikes on the weekend. And I rode to Santa Cruz and back from San Jose, which it was oh. about a 60-mile ride. And I said, coach. He said, how much you run on Sunday? And I said, well, we rode our bikes about 60 miles. How much does that count for running? He says, you didn't run. It counts for zero. Yeah. <laughs> that sort of thing, right? So. Um, what was but, your coach's yeah. name? Was uh, Orban Jones. Orban okay. Jones, yeah, at Willow Glen. So I ended up set, uh, setting the school record in the 5,000 and the, the two mile. The 5,000 was rarely run then. I ran 1452, had the third fastest time in the United States. Ran 906 in the two mile. And then I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do for college. So, of course, I went to community college. I went to West Valley and ended up setting the school record there and then got a scholarship offer at UC Irvine, went to UC Irvine. And it really wasn't my gig. Um, but the cool thing was, is in 1984, this was before the L.A. Olympics, you had like Edwin Moses and Dwight Stones yeah. and Ruth mm. Wysocki. And we would go out on Wednesday nights with Daley Thompson for all you could eat at Shakey's, the greasy stuff. And Daley Thompson set the world record and got the gold medal in the decathlon, right? It's just, a, it was just crazy, the amount of people that you just hung out with. And Edwin Moses would come out, they have, at Irvine, they have a half mile grass loop, and he'd take these shitty 
hurdles and put them out there and he'd do 800 meter repeats barefoot over these things and put like eight of them out there on this grass field. So it was really cool, right? But the scene at the school really wasn't my deal, but I ended up meeting one of my best friends. He's, you know, I consider him my older brother, Armando Siqueiros. Hmm. And uh, he ended up moving Mondo. to San Luis. Yeah, Mondo. He coached Jordan Hase in high school and we still hang out, go for, for beer. Me and him, Conover went out last weekend and had some beers and stuff like that. But anyways, I transferred to Cal Poly, um, which was a good scene for me. I, should, I, I got recruited to Cal Poly out of high school and me and Mike McCollum came here. Mike McCollum ended up uh, being one of the founders of Power Bar with Brian Maxwell. And anyway, so Mike and I came here on a recruiting trip and uh, we actually never ended up doing anything on campus. We just ended up on Bouchon Street with Pete Sweeney and a couple old Aggie guys and we played basketball and drank beer in high school. And that was, you know, we actually did go to one track practice. And I mean, this is a time when Cal Poly was the shit for California distance running. And we went up to Andy DeCani, who the year before won the high school state meet at the two mile. But he had the fastest time in the mile. Larry Gane won the mile. And McCollum, who's kind of a smart ass, asked, um, asked McCollum, he says, why didn't you run the mile? He says, I won the two mile, didn't I? <laughs> right? Yeah. I won the state meet, right? Not enough. That kind of thing. There's all kinds of guys there. Jay Martin went there. He won uh, Foot Locker that year and stuff like that. But anyways, I ended up at Cal Poly, uh, ended up being an All-American here, and then graduated and didn't know what to do. So out on a run, I asked a buddy of mine, Phil Bell, and I said, hey, do you know any work? Like this is in the middle of running. He says, yeah, come in. And so I started working in a warehouse. But at the same time, I moved in with Mark Conover and Pete Sweeney, the guy who came to live with at uh, what, the recruiting trip. So us three were roommates, and turns out I'm running with Conover, and the guy wins the Olympic trials, right? Which is kind of cool. Your roommate, you know, your training partner. Yeah, I won the Olympic trials in 88. And, and then the guy goes to uh, Seoul, Korea, and he has a dog named Harriet. And he, Mark just bought a gigantic bag of dog food, left it on the front porch, and opened it up. He's going to be gone for a month. He doesn't ask me or Pete to feed the dog. That's his solution to, right? Feeding yeah, the dog will feed itself. Right. And my mom and dad visited. go, what the hell is this? I mean, yeah, so we took over taking care of Harriet. But anyways, so, you know. <laughs> I've never heard that one. So, um, but yeah, living with Conover and training with him and Ivan Huff and Frank Griffiths and a bunch of other guys. Pretty fun. Qualify for the Olympic trials and, uh Actually, in 88, when Conover, right before he won the Olympic trials in 88, 87, uh, CIM, we ran uh, that, and uh, it was 60-mile-an-hour headwinds, and he ran 218, and I ran 222. And, uh, it, I mean, the guy who won, his singlet was literally ripped off his body because of the wind. Wow. Um, so if it wasn't that windy, I probably would have qualified that year. But I ended up qualifying in 92 and 96. 92, I don't know what the hell I was thinking. I wasn't training hard enough. And I got, I think, second to last. Really a humbling. I qualified with a 218 around 237. Oof. That's not that fun. No. And then I regrouped in 96. And I got uh, on a pretty hilly course. I ran 220. Uh, got 26. And went in right 71st, I think. So that was pretty good. Yeah. Is that the same similar course? Uh, 96, was that also in Atlanta, the trials? No, that was in Charlotte. In Charlotte. Okay. Yeah, and that's the one where uh, Bob Kempinen won. He oh, was yeah, that's right. 
puking right. everywhere. Puking, yeah, yeah. Right. It was yeah. snowing and it was crazy, yeah. crazy yeah. day. But yeah. What's cool is that we're getting closer to Josh's era. So we've almost got an overlap now. Yeah. Like 96, in 96, I was 33 years old. And uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that's about right. So yeah. Yeah, so basically, so 96 came and came and went, right? That, so that was, was that your last shot at the trials? Was that your last Yeah, shot? the thing was, is that um, at the time I had started another company, uh, VS Athletics, and I was going to grad school and I just bought a house and just got married and um, was training 120 miles a week. And I got done with that race. And I don't know if you've seen the Dick Beardsley podcast where he got done with the Olympic trials and he got 16th by surprise. And he goes, I'm not done at all. When I got done in 96, when I got 26, I said, I can't do any better than this. You know, mm -hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't, it was just, I can't train any harder given all the stuff I got yeah. going on in my life. Right. Yeah. And then I just, I, I kept running and running some road races and stuff like that. But basically my competitive career, you know, it was just the, yeah. the light went off and then I ended up getting my uh, master's degree, started that business. And then that kind of morphed into, um, in what was it in 2004? I don't know if you guys know Mike McManus, but Mike McManus is in charge yeah, yeah, of, yeah. Yeah, right. Um, well, he's actually in charge of athletes for Hoka right now. Now he's a Hoka guy. Yeah, yeah. But I yeah. think that was his career, right? Yeah. So back in in 2004, he was in charge of tennis and uh, running for Adidas. He was a rep for both of them. And we had a small shop in San Luis Obispo, and Mike stopped by to show some track spikes and some, um, you know, team apparel and stuff like that. We're a pretty small company, and uh, we got done. I said, Mike, why are you here? And he goes, I'm here to see you. And I go, that's bullshit. You're not here to see me. What are you doing here? He says, I'm actually here to see Tennis Warehouse. And I said, what's Tennis Warehouse? And he goes, oh, man, they got a kick-ass website. They're huge. You got to check it out. So then I check it out. And I go, okay, well, that's cool. Right? They're based in San Luis Obispo. And I'm based in San Luis Obispo. And that was about the end of it. And about four months later, um, Drew, my partner, there's an article in the Tribune when you actually read the paper. And he was talking about all these different things about why small businesses succeed or don't. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that, okay, you have somebody like me that's trying to do taxes and HR and programming and imaging, and it's just too much to handle, right? It's like, you, you just can't do everything. Yeah, so yeah. his concept and my other partner, Mars concept is if you can keep someone like me focused on just running shoes and take care of the other things, so you have an accounting department for several companies, you have an imaging department, you have an HR department, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And you can scale that stuff, right? And have me focus on the running side, right? Yeah, that should work. And so what happened was once I read that article, a light went on and I called up Mike and I said, hey, get me in touch with these guys. And so I got in touch with them and we had three, what, 10 or 15 minute meetings. Yep. And then they said, when are we doing this? And I said, well, I got to put it on a 4th of July race. How about after that? Is that Pozo? Yep, after Pozo. So then on July 12th, we incorporated. I left my other company and I just, you know, I gave my stock shares to uh, one of my partners. And I said, you know, I didn't get any money or anything. And I just left and started this. And that's, I don't know how good of an idea that was, but it turned out okay. So what did you start? 
Tennis we warehouse. Running, uh, sorry, we started running warehouse in 2005, July 12th of 2005. And then I didn't really know retail running that well. I knew team stuff. And there was a guy at uh, that I convinced to go to Cal Poly for grad school that had been going to the Humboldt running camp with, and he was a counselor. And he had worked at Forward Motion Sports in, in Danville for a number of years. So I started having asking him his advice, and he started working for me and started doing stuff. And he worked for me for, I don't know, two months. And finally, I went to HR, and I said, can we start paying this guy? His name is Jonathan Spiros, and he's still working for me, right? Um, but those are the days when, you know, uh, you know, I worked six, seven days a week. I vacuumed, cleaned the toilet. I, I literally was the person who cleaned the bathrooms. Yep. Uh, we would receive. We would um, answer phones, do retail create orders, uh, do all kinds of stuff. But, you know, a lot of these marketing genius things that we came up with, it was more a, 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 because we had to. Like in my previous business, the most phone calls we got were people that wanted to return stuff because you had to get a return authorization number. So you grilled people about why they're returning stuff. <laughs> and we only had two people at the time, right? And so we're shipping stuff out and I can't answer all these questions. So what we did was we offered free returns. And we put the return instructions on the back and we included a shipping label. And it had nothing to do with a marketing scam. And it's just, I didn't have the manpower to answer the calls and stuff. Just return it and I'll take care of it, right? Just get <laughs> just send stuff it back. back. Just send it no, back. Yeah, so mean, we were, go ahead. That's fantastic. I, I've, I've used that um, many times. Cause you're kind of going like, well, I don't get a chance to try on these shoes. Let me order right. like four pair and keep two. Yeah. Right? And yeah. then you're, you're still coming out ahead um, with that. But that's how we came up with it. It was more of a sense of need, like yeah, pain oh, in the man. ass. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do, do with that. So just you know, here's everything. And I remember one guy in particular. He kept calling me and he says, "Hey, I keep shipping the label, uh, the the package back, and it keeps coming back to me." And finally, I said, "I realized after like the third call, I said, you know, there's a label in there that you had me to put on the box. Are you doing that?" He goes, "Well, no." Right, he has his, his own label. He gives it to the UPS the guy, and the UPS guy keeps delivering it back to his house. I mean, <laughs> this is the kind of stuff you're dealing with, like early days, right? But uh, now we have, um, I don't, you know, we actually uh, pay Tennis Warehouse to do our fulfillment and receiving and so forth. So, uh, for all intents and purposes, running warehouses is buyers, marketing, uh, web content and customer service. And for that, we have about, I, th I believe it's about 80 individuals. But if you take all the tennis warehouse people and all of our accounting, I guess if you look at just the warehouse people, it's about 500 people there. And then if you look at uh, all our other, we call D5, so there's programmers and everything like that, I believe that's about 150 people there, uh, imaging and all that kind of stuff. So um, Total yeah. employees, total team? How big was it? Yeah, I don't know. We have a lot of people. And, and then we also have a distribution center in, in Atlanta uh -huh. uh, that we opened up about two years ago. So we have oh a, couple, a couple hundred people there too. So, Are you uh, still cleaning the toilets or? Uh, no. <laughs> That's the I'm, not idea. The, I'm not cleaning the toilets right now. No. And then it's international uh, as well? I mean, yeah, we have uh, Australia and we also have uh, Europe. And Europe's based in uh, Germany. And we have two locations in Australia as well. That's so, badass, dude. It's pretty cool. Well, thank yeah, you. So, um, my connection to all this was right around 2004, I think. Yes. 2005. Yeah. I was the guy 
getting those stupid returns back at VV Athletics working yeah. in the warehouse. Yes. Uh, with the, I had a straight edge and I was best friends with the UPS guy. And that was it. They just send me to the dungeon. And That's it. <laughs> I was working at VS Athletics and and running for Coach Rubio. So I was yes. running morning and, and night in the afternoon and I'd go to VS Athletic and work in the warehouse uh, yep. in the afternoon. And somewhere in there, I think I left for law school and Joe transitioned to, to run yeah. the warehouse. Like, that was it. I think... Uh... When JT said he could get a free law degree from Santa Clara, what do you think? What are you thinking about? You're working in a warehouse, man. I was thinking about staying. I was like, I'm having a pretty good time, and I think I should keep training. And he's like, get the out of here. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> go get a law degree, man. Where, JT, where was that? Where were you at the time? What's that? Where, where, where were you when this was happening? We were live, I was living in Morro Bay. In the back of Griff's uh, old antique store, right across the street from Pizza Port, and I got some crazy deal to live in this like one room thing that like it, it turned out to be just like a little flap flop house for uh, Aggie runners. At the time, we were uh, Asics Aggies. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and then the other thing Aggie. is you had you had Christian Hesh as a neighbor. Yeah, Christian Hesh right? was there. Hesh lived what a block away, two blocks away. Yeah. That's where he grew yeah. up. So he'd come down and bother the crap out of us, man. That guy's annoying, <laughs> right? He'd bother you. You just come down and yeah. oh, God, you go, what so are you annoying. doing, dude? Yeah, yeah, wearing a wife beater and board shorts, running fifteen hundred meters. <laughs> he'd, pop, he'd pop into the farm team practices the same way. Show up, show up on a longboard. Like, what? I don't, what, I don't even. Where'd you even come from? <laughs> This I know. Is so great. And was, this is why I love these conversations. And, and Josh, you probably got a sense of this in the first 10 minutes is that Joe can go from talking about a state champion to uh, Edward Moses, a world record holder, to some guy who left a bunch of uh, bag dog food open on a thing right when he left for the Olympics into, oh, yeah, I started a multi million dollar company and it's got three stuffs. And they're my favorite effing conversations. <laughs> this is what we do at uh, the Olympic trials and other places. Beta breakers and things like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. So Joe, like speaking of that, like I think it's I think it's super interesting that you you could pretty much be anywhere you want to be, right? In terms of uh, basing yourself, and you're you're still in you're still in uh, San Luis Obispo, right? Yeah. 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 It's, uh, why is this? Why? Why, why San Luis Obispo? I mean, I've always loved San Luis Obispo. I don't think I'm the only one that loves it. But the thing is, is once I mean, I've been here since 1984, right? You know, and people ask me about stuff in San Jose. Hell, I don't know what's going on in San Jose anymore. I haven't been there since, you know, the 80s. I don't know how long yeah. ago that is, right? It's it's a long time ago, yep. right? That place has changed significantly. I mean, the street I grew up on, Lansford Avenue, there's two San Jose sharks that live on my street that I grew up in. That's and it's those, too, right? Yeah, the freaking, I mean, the houses went for $3 million. My parents paid $17,000 for the house. I mean, JT grew up in Willow Glen, right? Yeah. I mean, it's changed. Actually, going back to uh, uh, Seascape, the guy that I stayed with, his parents lived right around the corner from where you grew up. Oh, right in, right in, uh, I was Lincoln and Fairview. Lincoln. Yeah, uh, right around the corner. Uh, yeah. There's another connection there. Anyways, I'm going off tangent here, but San Luis Obispo. San Luis Obispo, but um, you know, as far as you know, it's a, a great location. I mean, my kids go to San Luis Obispo High, which is fabulous school. Um, yeah, the the thing is, is that you know, what is it the uh, the API? You know, 
is really high there because it's a yep. fluent parent index, right? It's like you have all these people that came to Cal Poly and they didn't leave and they're teachers and, you know, it's just a, yeah. you know, white collar, you know, it's just, you know, for growing up kids, like it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's pretty safe. And, yeah. um, you know, as far as for athletes, you know, I coach the Hoka Aggies now. And as far as facilities, I mean, you got like, shit, what, what don't you have? You know, we have access to the Cal Poly track. We have, you know, I have the keys to the Cuesta track and the Cuesta track is awesome. And the shed, I mean, the workout shed there is phenomenal. So we have access to all the balls, the med balls, access to all the hurdles for hurdle drills. Uh, there's a thousand meter grass field next to the track. It's a beautiful all weather track. Uh, the temple runs from there that go through the army base are just yep. flat, safe, wide, beautiful views, really mentally. We have a lot of mentally easy stuff. we got a cross country course across the street. <laughs> so that's one location. Then you have Cal Poly and then you have, you know, trail runs everywhere. And then you have like Montana de Oro, right? Which is right. a, what, I don't know how many acres this park is. It's right in the ocean. You do a 20 mile run on the ocean on dirt, right? I mean, it's beautiful, right? It's just absolutely gorgeous. And you go around the beach and there's all kinds of stuff. And you got a quaint downtown and, you know, you got a bunch of cute girls downtown and probably cute guys and what's not to like, right? And it's right. just like, um, and then plus, you know, the other thing is, you know, I've been here so long. I have like Mondo's my doctor, right? Like, I mean, so, and then you have your dentist and you have just people, you know, that do stuff, right? You so just, cool. right? And so it's, like if I were to move to a different community, if I were to move to Atlanta, I wouldn't know anybody. So what yeah, do I do? Yeah. I just go in line to get a doctor's appointment, right? Right. You know, it's just, yep. and all these people are, are friends and it's cool. You know, it's just yeah. community. So, so this time with Mondo, you just get a checkup and a beer at the same time. That's how it works. Yeah. Uh, in his <laughs> Turn office, your head and no, cough and then yeah, right. also. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there, there's, there's some of that going on, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's, really cool when you know one of your best friends is your physician um and you know he has you know he coached to say in high school you know he did a pretty good job there yeah yeah. you know yeah, she won really as cool. a she won the national championships in cross country as a freshman and then lost the next two years and came back as a senior and won again it's because yeah. kind of like bob kennedy right yeah you know i don't know if you know the bob kennedy story but you know he won as a freshman at indiana senior yeah. year and caesar at indiana and the thing you see when you come into town was a billboard that said, good luck, Bob. You talk about pressure, pressure, right? And you have yeah. it one of the previous two years and the guy pulled it off, right? You go, That's guy's awesome. got balls of steel. Just amazing, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You, you just cool imagine he's gonna, he's gonna turn himself inside out to, to win that title, for sure. Yeah. Exactly. But, so, so I, Joe, one thing that's, that's for me, I don't know if I've actually ever run in San Luis Obispo, ever. Yeah. Um, so Come now down. I'm going there first. <laughs> oh, now I need to. Now you've pitched yeah. it to me. Come down. I'm gonna pack my bags at this point. Right. I'm coming with. Um, I'm coming back. Where, where's our first run? Where Where do you send us? Uh, Montana de Oro. Yeah. It'd be Montana. MDO. Yeah, MDO. It's. I mean, there's. You know, like during this pandemic, people, were, my athletes were asking me, "What do I What do I do?" And I said, "Run every trail at MDO." <laughs> right. Just go exploring because <laughs> everyone runs the same routes, but there is a ton of trails. Right, yeah. a ton of stuff, and then that doesn't even count. You can actually run to Moral Rock on the beach, and I do that. I don't run to Moral Rock, but I run on that beach, and there's nobody on this beach. Mm. And at low tide, there's nobody. 
like when I say nobody, I mean, I, I can go on a six mile run if I could run six miles, but I could go as far as I want and not see another human being. So there's that aspect of it too, that I know in the Bay Area, like you go to Rancho and it's, you can't, find you're a parking kidding. Spot. You can't even find a parking yeah, spot, right? Yeah. There's people everywhere, yeah. right? That's like off, and even stuff like Nicene Marks. When I was in high school, that's where, and JC, that's where we would go on our Sunday runs. We wouldn't see anybody. I don't imagine that's the case anymore. I don't know, JT, do you go Nicene Marks at all? Yeah, I go there all the time. I was there a few days yeah. ago. It, it's, right. it's somewhere in between Rancho and and what you're talking about. And during the pandemic, yeah. it's been even higher because people are out there hiking and walking and they're all on the fire road. And it just feels, yeah, it, yeah it's a lot of people. It's beautiful. Of, in the yeah, it's beautiful. Go, yeah, yeah, great spot. Yeah, but you also have the added thing that didn't exist when I was competitive is you have mountain bikes, right? And yeah, I ride mountain up. bikes, right? But you know, you, you didn't have that added population out there as well, yeah. right? But in our community, the cool thing about mountain bikers is when the city acquire the city and county acquires open space, the mountain bikers develop the trails. They blaze the trails and so they have access and they maintain the trails. So you go out at these, I mean, there's way more trails here now, JT, than when you were living here. It's crazy. It's pretty cool. Oh, where'd you guys go? Oh, there you go. Uh, I'm here. I don't know okay. where JT went. JT um, went. He left. I'm, he's like, he's, at a, he's like, I, I have had enough. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so Joe, that's, I mean, that's, I, that's super fascinating. Like I definitely need to get down there and, and, and check things out. Um, yeah. Well, Pretty you were mentioning a little bit about the, the coaching that you're doing in the team that you have there. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, that came up is like back when I was racing, uh, I think like Jason Lienow was, was one of the steeplechase guys that I used yep. to race against. And you mentioned Ivan Hoff. I think he was a steeplechase guy. Yeah. Um, from back in the day. Um, tell me a little bit about the, the kind of the makeup of the team right now that you have with the, with the Aggies and some of the some of the uh, uh, things that you like to do in terms of in terms of coaching. Yeah, the, um, the thing is, is in, in many respects, I mean, we've had people make the Olympic team in many respects. Yeah. Uh, it's about a lot of our athletes making the Olympic trials, right? It's it's getting decent high school, decent college kids and giving them an opportunity to keep improving. Because the reason you stop doing any sort of physical activity is you stop improving, right? And so that's my main yeah. recruiting thing is, Josh, you, do you think you can keep getting faster? At this right? point, no. No, but you know, when you're in college, that, you know, that's the thing. That's why you keep doing it, right? Yeah. Can you, yeah. Can you, do you think you can keep getting faster? Because here's an opportunity, and you know, a lot of the guys I get are gonna be, you know, maybe 29, 30 kind of guys. Mm -hmm. And trying to get those kind of guys to the Olympic trials, you know, um, and then sometimes you get people that do significantly better than that. But, you know, that's that's part of it. And then, um, you know, we didn't really have much of a women's team, I'd say, three years ago when we signed yeah. up with Oka. And their goal number one for us was to develop a women's team. Oh, cool. And and then uh, this past fall, we actually our women's team ended up winning the uh Club Cross Championship. Yeah, yeah, they ran really, right. really well. They ran really well, right? And so that was fantastic. And our guys did a surprising third. I, like when I was listening to the results, you know, they're saying the, the Aggies got third, and I go, "No, we didn't. We won." And then all of a sudden, I realized they're going, "Oh, it's the men's team that got third. I thought <laughs> we guys, got like yeah. fifth or eighth or something like that." So we had, a, you know, we it, it was really satisfying. So, um, but you know, a lot of it is just 
allowing people the opportunity to improve yeah. and giving them the, the structure to do it. Um, the other thing is we've always been a blue collar team in terms of everyone works full time. Everyone's going after career um, because if you can't run, you need a resume, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, right. For sure. And so uh, some people don't think it's ideal, but that's part of the whole thing is, you know, you got to work. You got to have a job. You got to yeah. pay the bills. Yeah. Um, yeah. And any prize money you win should be for toys. Right. It should be for a trip. Right. It should be for something that you're not planning. You shouldn't be trying to pay rent off of race winnings. Yeah. That's, that's, a, I mean, not, that's a huge that's pressure. Work. Man. That's never yeah. going to work. That's never yeah. going to work. There's not, enough, there's not enough money out there. Um, for folks to you know, to subside on in terms no, of no, and I think sure. if if you talk to someone like Scott Baus, you know Scott, what do you run in college? Twenty seven forty one or something like that. I mean, yeah, this, yeah. I mean, third, yeah, third fastest American born ten k guy in college, right? And he's D two, yep. and he gets signed with Adidas, and he just you know, if you talk to him about it, it a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. Like if you're not racing yeah. well, you know, your contract is done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things that I thought was was is that I love about the um, about the the Aggies is is not necessarily just like the performance they have at that uh, Olympic level, but it's also kind of the community aspect. Um, so take for example, like I I used to do a bunch of work with Beta Breakers um, and work with Searles all the time. Right. And and that that idea of of community was something that that I always I always loved. Um, and you know, how do you keep a little bit of that? How do you keep that fun all the way through from when folks are really serious about it, but making sure that there's a little bit of love uh, for the game when you, you know, when you decide that that's not the most important thing in your life anymore? Yeah, I mean, we have a couple things, and in, in, you know, we have two distinct groups, right? We have the the competitive yeah. kids, and we have the older Aggies, and so we have running camp, but it's all it's like Aggie family camp. Like my kids go, and all the older Aggies go, and we have a good time. Uh, but what we do is we require our athletes who are getting stuff to show up to two events. Oh, yeah. okay. They need to show up to beta breakers and they need to show up to the PA cross country championships. Right. And the PA cross country championships is where we bring all the old people and all the young people. And we have a picnic afterwards and tell stories and you have the older yeah. Aggies that are yelling for the young people. And it, you know, works out. We also have the Matt Yo invitational in October, which is similar. We have a giant picnic afterwards. Um, so that's a that's a large part of it. And, you know, trying to connect, you know, it's difficult, though, you know, when you have people that are my age that have careers and have, you know, kids that are in college and, you know, they're yeah. getting close to retirement or whatever, you know, it's they're, they're just in a different spot. But we yeah, try as much yeah. as possible. And then, you know, we also have things like the um, I organize the Rubio tours for track nationals and the Olympic trials. And so usually yeah. for the Olympic trials, we get 100 to 125 people. Not all of them are Aggies, but I buy the tickets. I make sure that uh, Mike Riley gets us on the the start of the fifteen hundred right on the rail. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So you know, it, it's pretty cool that way too. You know, you get that many people at the trials, and it's pretty fun. Yeah, and I think actually, honestly, I think you're underselling that a little bit because if folks aren't familiar with your presence at the trials, or it really any any track meet um, when those get back up and, and rolling, um, it's it's a different experience than just sitting with a couple of friends, you know, somewhere in the middle of the home stretch, that sort of thing. Like, what's the, what's the, you know, what's the vibe around that? Uh, tell folks a little bit about, you know, what does make it cool? I mean, so what you have is you have a lot of track nuts, 
Yeah. So like you have, okay, so Jim Grell passed away this week or last week, right? Right, right, right. Well, the guy who wrote the obituary, Peter Thompson, who used to be head of of uh, coaching education for IAAF, like oh, he's really? part of the group. And you have Mike Finelli. So I don't know if you know, yeah. follow Mike Finelli on Facebook. Mike, yeah. yeah. But he has arguably the largest track and field memorabilia collection on the planet. So he's part of the group. And then you add people that show up like Coach V Hill. So he's part of the group. And you have Peanut Harms, and then you have Pete Sweeney, and you have just a ton of people that just know the sport. And so you're bantering back and forth. So it's like when you watch track on TV, for the most part, it's dumbing it down. This is not yeah. dumbing it down. Like you got to come equipped with your knowledge of the history of the sport, about the events and so forth. And so taking this to a second generation, you know, my daughter, uh, oldest daughter is a distance runner and she throws these crazy uh, strategies into races. So she's pretty good. And I'll ask her where, where that came from. And she'll cite a meet from back in 2010 that somebody pulled, right? Yeah, and she's yeah, yeah. pulling this crap. And so she, it's like an unfair advantage, right? She's doing stuff that nobody knows what's going on, right? They're just used to just hanging and kicking the best they can. Right. And she's throwing surges in like, you know, like one of them was a uh, thousand meters to go running each 200 faster than the previous one. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's by osmosis, right? And she's telling the team about the history of the sport, right? And, you know, I think she took a, a track and field class in junior high and you know they talked about john carlos and then oh, yeah. she showed up showed up the next day with a picture of her and john carlos and then okay ashton eaton right and then she shows a picture with ashton eaton right and all these people that she's gotten to know over the years and you know the teachers are who in the hell are you right but this is <laughs> this is part of it you know she just gets to know these people she playing when she was a kid she played duck duck goose with joan benoit Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, so it's an unfair advantage in that. But, you know, it's just you get around these, you know, you've been around the sport a long time and you just, we're just fortunate. I mean, you know, a good friend of mine is Steve Jones. Well, the guy had the world record in the marathon. Right. Right. And he, right. I ran the beta right. breakers with him. And then yeah. you got guys like what? Well, I was at the uh, Olympic trials were at the Boston Marathon one year, 2004, I think it was. Yeah, and so I'm sitting with Greg Meyer, who won Boston Marathon in '93, right? right? And yeah. he tells me he's got to go, and I go, "Okay, well, good to see you." Well, where he had to go was throw out the first pitch for the the Red Sox game because it was the 20th anniversary of when he won the Boston Marathon. And I see him the next day, I go, "Well, you asshole, why didn't you tell me you were going to go throw out the first pitch of the Boston?" You know, you could tell me that. That's yeah, kind of cool yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. That is you cool know, stuff. That is hilarious. But Look, I think know, the, the thing that makes it super cool for me is like, even though you got all that knowledge, it's it's the the attitude of the group is like, yeah, sure, come on over, you know, grab a beer, hang out, like learn something. It's not it's not exclusionary, right? Like, yeah. there's a lot of folks that are there, but if you want to learn and you want to be a part of it, just just come on over. And what what I find like is that's that's it seems like that's the same vibe as down in in running in in, in uh, yeah down at Cal Poly where Look, hey, if you love the sport, come on over. We, you know, we all share the same sort of love for that, and we can all have that same sort of enjoyment. And yeah. uh, the point of it is, is like sometimes you know, we as, as runners, you kind of complain about whether or not there's enough, uh, I don't know, spotlight on the sport, or there's enough events, or something like that. And I think 
sometimes you forget about what why we really love it why we enjoy it and it's not a lot of that community right it's like get right. together and share the stories well i have my opinions on why the sport isn't as popular as it could be yeah sure let's hear it i mean um so like right now i can well maybe not this fall but in normal circumstances i could say okay my kid's a steph curry fan i could look at the schedule I can bring my kids and Steph Curry is most likely going to play, right? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Oh, for sure. I, no, right? I hear where you're going with this. I feel, right. I feel you. I feel and, you. I don't see anybody. And the thing is, is that in track, track and boxing are the only two sports where the athletes decide where they're going to compete, right? And if they're going to compete. So this was, and this clicked in my mind a few years ago when we were at the 19th Street Cafe and walking to Hayward Field. And I'm walking with Pat Devaney and Mike Finelli, two of the most knowledgeable guys in track and field, and myself. And we're going to watch the qualifying for the world championships in the 10,000 meters. Right, right. And we're, we're asking each other, who's running? Right, you don't right. know. We don't know, <laughs> right? We don't know who the hell's running. And so how do you sell advertising? How do you get people in the stands? I mean, you need competition. I mean. You think back in the 70s, you had Marty LaCourie and Jim Ryan, right, in Pennsylvania, right? How many people watched that? Freaking everyone, right? Because you had the yeah. two studs going against each other and LaCourie won. But, you know, you just had he more head-to-head -head competition. Yeah. And, you know, that's the large part of it, right? It's like like Salazar setting up the 10,000 after a dual meet up in Oregon with Adrian Royal, the guy who beat him in the previous fall right at cross country nationals and a vastly overweight out of shape henry rono and him rono and rono won, won right you know but yeah, it was yeah. rono against salazar right yeah, it's yeah. just and it, i think you no go ahead and that's a, no i think that's purity of the whole thing too is like if you asked and you probably would know the times for that but for the vast majority of things like times are like, there's this huge focus on time rather than this idea of 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 head-to-head -head competition Right. Um, and yeah, you know, the fast times will come if you if you beat people. But this idea of just getting people to to race each other is is critically I mean it's critically important just to see, you know, see who, who you like and who you want to back and you know, create a little yeah, bit of rivalry. Need, like that's fun. That's good guys and bad guys. So yeah, you uh, do. another you need personality, man. You need, you need some another um, kind of off the beat story here. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know if you guys know Steve Miller. But Steve Miller's, you know, high up in track and field and him and Vin kind of go back and forth. And anyways, Steve Miller was the head coach at Cal Poly and a good friend of mine, Joe Fabris, who ended up being head of marketing and sales for Microsoft, a sub at Miller, yeah. right? Um, Miller was his coach. Of course. And so Miller went from Cal Poly, he went to Kansas State, and one of his athletes from high school was John Capriotti. So Capriotti came to Cal Poly, oh, really? right? And then Miller went to Kansas State. Capriotti followed him to Kansas State. Miller became the AD at Kansas State. Um, and then he got the job as global marketing head at Nike. So Miller yeah. was head of the Barcelona Olympics for Nike and Capriotti. So first he was in charge of athletes at Nike. And then he left that position and brought in Capriotti to be in charge of athletes. So that's where that came from. Anyway, so Miller ends up retiring after the Barcelona Olympics. Well, Fabris 
is working at Microsoft and his office mate is an engineer and they both cash out at about 40 years old, right? And <laughs> his office mate has this dream of making the pro bowlers tour. So he tries for five years to do the <laughs> pro bowlers tour and he doesn't make it, but he ends up buying it for $1.5 million. And he's an engineer and he calls up Fabris <laughs> and he says, I'm, I'm an engineer, I don't know how to run this thing. What do I do with it? And he says, hey, let me call my old coach, Steve Miller, who just retired, he knows how to do this stuff. So he, uh, the engineer hired Miller to be the head of the pro bowlers tour. So Miller yeah. calls up, he, his plan is to make, uh, you're a good guy, Josh, you're a good guy, and JT, you're a bad guy. Yeah, and Josh, like wrestling, says, like yeah. Right, you make characters, right? And Josh says, I don't wanna be a good guy. I want to be a bad guy. Nope, Josh, you're a good guy. And you're going to go to these events. And I don't want yeah. to go to those events. Well, you don't want to be part of the pro bowlers tour, do you? So he had these matchups and you could sell advertising and it got on ESPN. And now you look at it and you go, holy shit, look at this thing, right? It all started with good yeah. guys and bad guys and competition on a consistent basis, right? That you could sell advertising on. And then people yeah. could count on it. And you could tune in and see Jim Ryan versus Mario Corey. Yeah, right. And there's and there's pockets of that too, right? Like I feel like the shot put is is perfect for this. Like shot put, pole vault. Pole vault. Yeah. I mean, I mean, those those two guys in the pole vault, they're genius, right? Yeah. They go against yeah. each other, and they promote each other, and they're not afraid to compete. You know, and so yeah. you know. It's really cool, right? Exactly. You realize like you need each other, like that. Yeah. So take the what was That's it? The cool. the actually the 2019 Doha uh, Shot Put Championships. Oh yeah, right. That thing was probably, nuts. Probably one of the best competitions, hands right. down, I've, I've seen. Yeah. And it wouldn't have been that good if you didn't have those guys wearing wearing different uniforms. Yeah. Right? If they're all if they were mm. all blanketed in in like like one shoe company's uniform. They all become kind of a little bit faceless. Do right. you remember back in the day when uh, Reese Hoffa used to compete with a with a luchador mask, and he, <laughs> if he was the, in the shop foot? Yeah, I lived with I lived with that Adam Nelson for a while, and so it was like Adam Nelson and uh, and you know Reese Hoffa was in that mix, and I had an old college teammate who uh, a guy by the name of Joachim Olsen who was yeah. uh, 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 from Denmark. And all these guys, I like, kind of had these personalities. But Reese Hoffa's like, I'm going to take it one step further. I'm not even going to be called Reese Hoffa. I'm just going to be the mass, the mass thrower. Throws on this luchador mask. Everybody knew it's him. And he gets out there, and he's, he's tossing the shot put around with that mask. And I'm like, okay, he's on to that. And then Nelson starts tearing off his shirt, you know, when he's going to go into the into the ring. Right. Okay. We I need more of that. that. I don't even yeah. care where it's going. You guys, so, you guys couldn't be doing anything. <laughs> So the the one time I met Adam Nelson, I said, your picture's on the backside of my toilet. So the, he was on the cover of Track and Field News, and that was on the backside of me. He goes, what are you talking about, man? Right. <laughs> weirdo? <laughs> you weirdo? So, so yeah, I mean, saying, then, Joe, that, that was yeah. actually the only time you met Adam Nelson, man. He was like, hey, here's the toilet guy coming. <laughs> you. So we need more luchador mass we need more good guys and bad guys and they need to actually face off and we need to know when it's happening you got it right because and and, and sell beer for crying out loud uh yeah the beer I thing i mean the, one of the best olympic trials was in and this was kind of funny because i talked to pat hitchings who used to be at flow track and he went to mm -hmm. you know, know he's from new orleans or something like that yeah 
And they couldn't believe that the Olympic trials in 92 were in New Orleans at Tad Gormley Stadium. Yeah. And the cool thing about that, that was Dan and Dave's year, right? Where that yeah. went haywire. Yeah. But they sold booze, not just beer, hurricanes. Yeah. Right? And they had the slushy drinks and all that stuff. And it's Louisiana. And you got Bourbon Street. And it was yeah. awesome. It was absolutely awesome, right? It's just like, really, you can't, I mean, you can't have beer at a track meet? Are you kidding me? How, Seriously. what, I, yeah. Do you know I mean, how much yeah. beer these have had to sneak into track stadiums for the last two decades based on that? <laughs> uh, in 1984, the Aggies uh, snuck in a keg of beer at the LA Coliseum. <laughs> Get an entire keg in a track stadium. Well, and then, uh, when Nationals were at Stanford, uh, this was in the 90s, um, yeah, uh, Chris Shilley snuck in a keg there, too. So it's doable. Yes. It's doable. Kids, uh, it's doable. doable. Yeah. Yes. Never set your sights high. Yes, exactly. Uh, speaking of the Aggies, um, and I don't, in my absence, my internet went away for a while as I was trying to hack the mainframe. Um, I don't know if you guys got into anything with Hoka One One. Uh, they are the sponsor of the Aggies, but also seemingly one of the winners in this space right now. Uh, oh, it, yeah. I mean, I can speak like, on the business side of things. I mean, Hoka's well, I been... would like to hear a little bit on the business side of things because I would say 2012, I'm working for Dean Carnassus, uh, and we're at a North Face Endurance Challenge. And this crazy Frenchman comes up to us with Jean a Luke. shoe that looks, yeah, Jean-Luc. Oh, I don't know who he was then. I thought he was an insane person. He was wearing he marshmallows on his feet. And right. he was walking around. And I was like, well, that stupid thing's not going to work. But, gosh, so, so what I, I remember the very first time I, I tried out a pair. And I thought, like, okay, well, they look a little different, ridiculous. And you put them on, right. and we're like, this is the greatest thing I've ever put on my on my on my foot. It felt it. I I love just like the just like the actual squishiness, the responsiveness, the whole thing. And then just the shoes gotten better and better. And that's been that was probably I don't know. It was like ten years ago, something like that. Seven years ago. Yeah. Interesting thing about Hoka is for someone who hasn't run before, if you look at the shoe, it's kind of like a visual technology, right? It's like it's thick and it should be soft and you pick it up and it's lighter than you expect and you stand on it and you, yeah, it's soft, right? Squishy, yeah. yep. you know? And the other, you know, when you talk to Jean-Luc, a couple of the things that he talks about is, you know, they were the first ones to popularize the, the rocker, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, he talks about the most efficient shape on the planet is a circle. So when you run in a pair of hokas, it kind of propels you forward. And that's a big thing on carbon plated shoes right now, right? Is, a, is having a rocker of some sort. And then the other thing he says is a visual, you wanna, if you think about uh, the guys on the moon walking, they're doing this thing, right? Bam, bam, bam. And that's the sensation that he's looking for there. But you know, the, th the thing with um, Hoka right now, is we look at, at their innovation and stuff, you know, I. I'm fortunate because I can look at stuff, you know, I'm looking at stuff that they're not even going to introduce until 2021. Mm. Uh, but they're coming up with solutions to problems I didn't know existed. So when I say that, yeah. it's like you have a specific tool for specific job. 
and they're coming yep. up with stuff and you go, oh, wow, that's hmm. really, right? I hadn't thought about that. So they're, they're coming up with all these different solutions. Their shoes are looking much better. They're comfortable and they're just, they're absolutely killing it for us right now. And so they're our number one brand by far. And um, the thing is, is that, you know, a website is pretty democratic in terms of purchasing, right? right? Yeah. I, I can't really influence anyone's purchasing decision by any great extent. Like I can inform them and stuff like this, but, but at the end of the day, once you get all your information, you hit the buy button, it's up to you guys, right? It's up to the, the population of the world to figure out what they want to get. And by, you know, I, I get all the metrics from all the different brick and mortars and stuff, and it's way 180 from what we are. And I talk to the brands, I go, I would say our numbers are more in tune with what the population wants, right? Mm, yeah. um, because the thing is, is that when we have a retail store and when I worked retail, you could control that purchase decision pretty well. And yeah, when you have a normal- You just normal bring out brick, two shoes. Right. Here's and when one you bring, New Balance, here's one socking in. Right. You're going to pick it, one of them. It, Right. When you have a brick and mortar, that's what you do. You don't sell what you don't have. Okay. You think in your mind, okay, this is the type of shoe the person needs. Here's what I have in the warehouse. Here's what I have in his size or her size. This is what I'm bringing out. I got the perfect choice for you, JT. Here you go. Right. What yeah. do you think? And you tweak it from there. So you can, yeah. you know, like if you only have three shoe accounts, that's what you're going to do. You're going to sell, yeah. you know, X, Y, or Z, you know? Um, but you know, in our case, uh, you know, I'll give any brand a try. And try them out for six months and see how it goes so you know it doesn't mean we're never bringing them back but sometimes they don't work out and we wait for a new line of shoes to show up you know and you know bring them back in but um yeah yeah but hoke is absolutely cool. slaying it right now they're slaying it and that's and you're talking it from a very the technical point and you know some of the technologies coming out and the people that just love the shoe I, I get to see it from a, a marketing and a storytelling perspective, which I, you know, I think has a lot to do with it. And they're slaying it there too. They've been pushing inclusivity, uh, supporting runners from the front to the back of the pack, from ultra to youth. And like, they've got a, just a very good sense about brand as well. And, and I don't say this because they are a client or a partner. I would talk positively about anybody that didn't pay me as well. It's just... Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things that we did in December, um, they had an athlete summit in Scottsdale and they mm -hmm. brought like us, uh, NAZ Elite, uh, they brought some athletes from uh, from Gags Group, um, you know, No Hilly was there, stuff like that. And then they brought in trail people and then they brought in ultra people. So you had yeah. all these different athletes that you might not have been aware of that yeah, you yeah. got to know, like Pat Reagan, right? I mean, the guy's awesome. Like he's yeah, gonna run for awesome. the, I know, he's gonna run for the Aggies at cross country nationals. Oh, I didn't know that, he's such oh, a good cool. dude. Yeah, it was just stuff like that, right? And you just get this cross pollination, you, you start to appreciate different athletes. And you know, it's it's really cool. Like they brought in, um, uh, what's her name? Julie Moss. So yeah. if you guys don't know Julie Moss, uh, I right? used to, I used to announce triathletes, uh, triathlons yeah. with, with Julie. So Julie and I and did, she uh, did such a fabulous job of speaking, right? And for those in the reader land who don't know who Julie Moss is, she was the one who popular. She was on Wide World of Sports when that's what we watched every week. And her story about going into this thing completely unprepared and just falling apart, where she just, you know, like yeah. she crapped on herself and she fell down and she was winning by 
what, 45 minutes. And then she, I mean, she's crawling to the finish line. And the the yeah. second place lady passes her right before the finish line, right? Yeah. And then she collapses. And it's just. For Iron Man. Yeah, it was the Iron Man. It was basically like a, like a branding for Iron Man, right? The yeah, it was amazing. But I, you know, I just found, you know, she went to Cal Poly. Because when I'm yeah. looking at this thing, it says mm. Julie Moss from Los Osos, California. And I go, no, that's wrong, right? On a wide world of sports. She didn't live in yeah. Los Osos, right? And she did. So we were going to have a Cal Poly uh, track reunion. And I said, are you interested in coming? She said, I've never run track at Cal Poly. I said, it'd be cool to have you there, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she still comes to Cal, uh, San Luis Obispo uh, once a year and runs Poly Canyon with Scott Tinley. Oh, that's that's cool. Cool. an annual group up. They go from the Poly track yeah. to Poly Canyon. So it's pretty cool. But um, that yeah, event was really cool. cool, getting to know all the different people from all the different disciplines, right? Because yeah. that doesn't really happen a lot. Yeah. And JT, we talked a little bit about uh, when, when Hoka came on, um, the show was saying that, uh, you know, one of the one of the conditions for it was to to step up a women's team, um, and I think mm. it really speaks to it really speaks to some of the stuff that you were mentioning about what the brand's behind. Yeah, I mean, just saying like, look, yeah, it's cool. We can sponsor any guy's team all over the place. What we really want is to make sure that we have you know, representation across um, across men and, and women as well. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I can give you like even more specific examples of, of the pressure coming down from the brand of we're working on a high school program called Summer Mile Club, which is to try to get the kids running the summer and stay engaged. And, uh, you know, they had most all the high school kids had their track season canceled. Who knows what's going to happen with cross country? But it's all about how do we engage just as many female runners um, as we do and uh, as our as our boys runners that have the traditional you know, dominance in summer training and stuff like that. Yeah, but yeah, and maybe yeah. that's a, a great segue to Joe, who is not only a coach, but he's also a father of a of a high school athlete. And I've kind of experienced that too with my dad being a coach and me kind of like toiling with surfing basketball and everything but running until I was finally I finally saw the light. How <laughs> do you balance being a coach, knowing the right thing to do, and then also being a dad at the same time. I think there's a so, lot of people that listen to this. Oh, like, so I want the kids to run and you want them to do the right thing, but how do yeah. you so, so manage my, that? My oldest daughter is a distance runner. My youngest daughter is a pole vaulter, right? Um, right. And the pole vaulter was a gymnast. And I introduced her to Jan Johnson, who's silver medal or bronze medalist in 72, had the world record, pre's roommate, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, he said, come out whenever you want. And it was about two years before she said, I'd like to pole vault. And so now I drive her up to Tascadero every Sunday and she gets to like arguably one of the best pole vault coaches in the nation. And she just goes up there and dorks around, right? Sometimes she's vaulting and sometimes she's just jumping on trampolines and stuff like this. But, you know, she's hanging out with college females that are vaulting 13, 14, 15, not 15, but 13, 14 feet, right? And she thinks that's normal. So that's kind of cool, right? It's like, <laughs> I said, how to go today? She says, well, I only clear 10 feet. You know, she's a freshman. And I'm looking on the thing, and she'd be the top vaulter at her high school right now, right? She goes, well, <laughs> I, I didn't vault 13 like this person did, you know? That's and so then cool. the older one, so that's pretty easy. I don't really know anything about the vault. But with my <laughs> oldest daughter in cross country, you know, she's running pretty well. And then I start giving her feedback and start, you know, talking to her about stuff. And I'm too stupid to realize the more I'm talking to her, the worse she's running. So and then we're getting to the end of the season and the county meet doesn't go great. 
and then I'm giving her more advice and the league meet doesn't go great. And then finally I said, we go out to dinner. I said, sweetie, I think I'm, I'm, I'm done talking to you about uh, running. If you want to talk to me about running, just because I think I'm stressing you out. She goes, yeah, you're effing stressing me out. Just stop it. <laughs> and so after that, you know, she started running really well again. So that's it. That, that's all the lesson I needed. Right. And then um, uh, her coach and the former coach of the high school, we go golfing every Wednesday. So I get all the input on, you know, the cross country team there. And, uh, yeah. you know, they, uh, Adam, who's the head coach there, asked me if I looked over the, the training advice he gave. And I said, nope, you got it. It's all you, man. Yeah. So the only thing I'm doing right now with Grace is, is uh, back in January, I said, you need to start contacting the colleges that you want to go, you know, you're considering going to. And she doesn't do it. And she doesn't do it. And she doesn't do it. And we're sitting, I'm sitting there and on this, one of the Zoom things with the Portland coaches, with Dave Frank. Right. Yep. And all of a sudden the head coach for Duke comes on and talking about, okay, well, the seniors I got figured out, right? I got their junior track times and senior cross country performances and the sophomores are a little bit young. And then I said, Gracie, come over here and listen to this. And so the coach from Duke said, the ones I'm worried about are the juniors, right? I don't have their junior track yeah. times, which is usually what I, largely what I go on. Mm. I have some of the cross country stuff and I have their sophomore track times, but that's not yeah. really indicative. And he says, I need these athletes to contact me so they get on my radar. Right now I have nothing to go on. And then all of a sudden the light goes on in Grace's head. And the next day she starts, because when her dad says it, oh, that's just dad talking. Dad didn't know what the hell he's talking about. That's great. You know, but when the head coach yeah. of Duke, oh yeah, okay, now I got to get off my ass and start contacting these coaches. So now she's, awesome. you know, it's going pretty good. Um, so she's got a lot of options available to her, but uh, Oh, you that's know. cool. I think there's two great lessons there. So I had a very similar experience with my dad where he was, he was hands off. He let, Coach Sasso and Coach Styles at Midi coached me, yeah. and then Coach Dolan at UC Santa Barbara. And I think he was there more for just like, I don't know if it was, it was a pressure from afar, like do the right thing and get the work in. But mm -hmm. it was never like hands on, you have to do this, you have to go run, you have to do all those things. And I, I maybe we're still friends today because of it. I think Probably. he saved it. <laughs> your, your high school coach, Sasso, I got a story about Sasso. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> So in, in 1996, him and Toby Cook and Dave Frank and I think Dave's sister and Toby's sister decide to drive Miatas from California to Atlanta for the Olympic trials. A Miata and, fits two people. What's that? Doesn't a Miata only fit two people? Yeah. So they had like four Miatas and driving across the United States. <laughs> and Dave, Dave is thinking that they're going to stay. Ah, uh, shit. Whose house was it? I forget whose house. But anyways, I'm in a room with, uh, we got uh, Steve Boaz, who's the head coach at, at, Cal or at San Luis High at the time, and my wife. And then, um, you know, we're just in this room. And then they get there, and it's Clay Heron. So Clay, they, they show up to Clay's house, and Clay's wife says, these people can't stay here, right? And that's the plan, is to stay at Clay's house. Nope. So. Dave contacts me, finds me at the track meet. And he says, hey, man, uh, I know you don't know this guy, but he's a cool dude and he needs a place to stay. He needs a floor to crash on. Here's Mike Sasso. Can you let him sleep on your floor? And so, yeah, we take the, Boaz has the couch. So we take all the, the 
whatever the cushions off the couch, put it next to the bed, give him a pillow and a, uh, yes. you know, like a covering and he's there for two weeks. Right. And every day he's coming up to us and going, God, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it, man. I can't thank you guys. It's every day. And finally say, hey, Mike, are you Catholic? Cause you seem awfully guilty about this whole thing. And he goes, yeah. And I said, stop it. Just stop it. <laughs> It's okay. So, I mean, he's still a good friend to this day, right? I mean, he's uh, killing uh, it at St. Francis. Yeah, he's a good yeah, guy. He's doing great. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's so cool. Well, this reminds me of, like, Joe, there's a there's a saying uh, in music where someone is your DJ's favorite DJ, right? Like, you don't know who that person is, but he influences, like, so many things from afar. And, Josh, that's what Joe reminds me of. He's, like, your coach's favorite coach. Or your business yeah. fans' favorite business. It's like not everyone knows Joe Rubio. They're they're starting to, but then he's connecting. He connects the entire world to all these people. There's a yeah, lot of dot. Your uh, DJ's favorite DJ. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, DJ. <laughs> That's a great uh, name. Yeah, DJ Rubio. I think this is a great place to stop. It was so cool to hear about all the stories. Uh, San Luis Obispo, how Hokan does what it does, how. You take care of your daughters in terms of not taking not coaching them at all which is great lesson uh josh what else did you learn oh man no i think it was great i think it was, it was fun I, I the biggest thing i learned is i need to get uh down to down to uh san luis obispo you know for a yes. couple of runs like see it see it in the flesh yeah. um yes. and the other thing too is like like man we need some more we need some more villains that's the that's the other piece of that absolutely yes. That one's with personalities. Yeah. guys out there, right? Well, that you know that goes back to like uh, you know I, you guys are probably too young for this, but that was a big thing between Seb Coe so and Steve Steve Ovet, right? right? Seb Coe was the good guy, and Ovet was the bad guy. You know, and right. Ovet was such a bad guy that they had the reunion for the sub, you know, the world record holders in the mile. Yeah. To honor Roger Bannister, and everyone showed up except yep. for Ovet, <laughs> right? <laughs> They have a picture. I, I, I'll find the picture, but it's like every single former world record since Bannister showed up. Every single one except for one. Oh, that's right? amazing. So you got a real bad guy there. But oh, I mean, that guy, oh, I that guy was a stud, but yeah, he just so, didn't want to be liked. That whole era with all three of those guys uh, was, was amazing. That, that's, a, that's a whole pod in and of itself. Yeah, and the, you know the the unfortunate thing is they started the era of avoiding each other. So the only time they mm -hmm. raced was at the Olympics, right? And so they had things like you know the Oslo meet. One would run the mile, and one would run the 1500, and they both set world records, that's right? True. It's just like stupid shit like that, right? That uh, but you know the the other era that's really cool to look back on is like in the 70s when uh, right at the start of the pro track tour, and guys like Brian Ofield. So he'd smoke a six, you know, he smoked cigarettes on the infield and throw 75 feet in a shot, right? Set a world record and things like that. And he was a bouncer at Mountain Charlie's in downtown oh, Los Angeles. Yeah. yeah. So um, you just had just uh, just characters, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just, yeah. And you okay. either loved them or hated them, but, um, you know, it's. I love it. Yeah. We just need more of that. Yeah, yeah, the love them or hate them, but you were at least remembered remembered them, you know. Um, yeah. So I think <laughs> yeah, maybe remember each other. Cool. Uh, uh, well, things, Joe, hey, Josh, thanks for time. I've got a few things that the whole 
that I need to remember, speaking of remembering, which is like my plugs before I get in trouble with David Monaco, our producer, for everything that's going on in Run Local Land. Um, I want to thank Joe Rubio for being on the podcast. Josh, cool. it's good to see your, your your gray beard and your face. Uh, yep, Joe, yep. let's go play golf sometime. And Josh, let's go for a run down in San Luis Obispo. We can um, do both. And then we can go we for can a beer both. with Conover and, and Mondo oh, at Gus's, Gus's Grocery out in the – yeah. Oh, I love Gus's Grocery. And I can go that's for our, a surf. That's our Saturday afternoon. That's your Saturday afternoon. That's your Saturday afternoon. On the uh, patio yeah. and have a beer with a bunch of dorks and – you know, shoot the crap. <laughs> Let's do it. So okay. uh, I do want to say thank you to Joe. Also to all of our California Coast 500 runners. You're running virtually up the coast. Uh, soon you will be in San Luis Obispo. This is a great time to listen to this podcast so you can hear about San Luis Obispo while you're running around. Um, we also have a few things coming up for runlocalevents.com. That's across the Bay 12K. That's also virtual. Silicon Valley Half will be this fall and or virtual. All this information you can find at runlocalevents.com or on the social medias. That's all we have for today. Everyone be cool. safe. Cool. Thanks, guys. Cool. Thanks a lot, Bye, Joe. Peace. Peace.